Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. The NABC Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield. And now, your host, Tim Doyle. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. I'm your host, Tim Doyle, and today we're joined by Mike Schauer, head coach of the Division Three Wheaton Thunder. This is a podcast about coaching. Let's throw you an alley-oop to start. Why did you get into coaching? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, the, 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 the simple answer is I had a, a coach, a mentor, Bill Harris, who sort of recognized something in me. I, I never thought about coaching when I was playing. I did play, Tim. There's video to prove it. Is it on yeah. VHR? Uh, or is it on, oh, no, uh, it, I don't know what beta? it's on. It probably actually doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just, he recognized something in me and, uh, and encouraged me to give it a go. And I, so I, I knew I was going to go to grad school. So I started basically grad school here at Wheaton and, and working part-time on the coaching staff. And honestly, Tim, I knew within, within a few, few weeks that this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I was better at it than I was at playing. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> out rebound a six, eight guy, but I might be able to out coach a six, eight guy. So uh, I loved it. I loved the competitive aspect of it. Obviously loved being on a team. I loved the relational piece, but I kind of stumbled into coaching a little bit, to be honest. Well, uh, you've been at the division three level for your entire career. We could probably do a three hour show on just division three basketball. And I play with a lot of those guys post my playing career in the love and passion that they have for it. I always say, man, if I played with guys at my level that had that, what makes coaching at the Division Three level so unique? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar in some ways to Division One. You know, we're, we're doing it because we're competitive people. We love the game of basketball. Uh, we want to sort of continue our careers a little bit. You know, I think what's unique at, at Division Three, obviously, is you're dealing with non-scholarship guys. So, you know, they're, they're coming to Wheaton primarily for the institution secondarily for the basketball opportunity. Obviously they're connected, but they're picking the college as opposed to the basketball opportunity. Um, so I just think that unique part of it, um, that you're dealing with young men uh, who are choosing to do this almost as an extracurricular activity beyond it, because they're, you know, we're not providing them scholarship money or, or any, really any of those perks that come with the higher levels. So that part is, is probably the most unique part but our guys are just as competitive, right? They're, they're just not as gifted physically as the guys that you're watching on TV, but they are as motivated and committed to it as, uh, as guys at higher levels. I'm not sure you were the head coach. I don't believe you were. Uh, in 2006, Wheaton College went to Evanston, Illinois, and that's right. I was on the Northwestern team. Were you on the sidelines then? I was not. I, we talk about this game a lot, though, Tim. So for those that don't know, and probably if you're listening to this, you don't know, unless you're a loyal Wheaton College fan, because they ran the most amazing play ever. We had a two-point lead. It was last possession of the game. And nobody in the entire world had a better angle on the three-point shot than I did. I was standing under the, you know, when you have the perfect angle, whether you're under the hoop or where you're behind somebody. And as the Wheaton College players shot it, Obviously, it would have won the game. I went, oh, this is going in. Like, like I was there, I went, oh, this ain't good. And uh, ends up missing. I always wonder, Coach, what happened to that guy? There was a movie, a bad movie in the 80s called Mr. Destiny. 
with uh, Jim Belushi and he hit a home run as like a 12 year old and his whole life changed instead of like, I always wonder if that guy made that shot coach would his whole life have been different. Well, I don't know. He's a doctor in Elmhurst. So I think he's done okay. <laughs> so he, it's worked out for him. He actually is still in the area. <laughs> I, so I guess it hasn't worked out. Okay. But I, that was, you know, no one has that moment that I had. No one had the angle. So as the ball was in flight, you know, it went, you know, whatever that took a second or two. And I went, ah, oh, man, we're going to lose this game. And, and it rimmed out. I was like, Harvey, let's get out of here before they keep playing. So that's pretty cool. Congratulations to him. That's an amazing story. Cause I, I live not far from either one Wheaton college and Elmhurst. So I'm kind of splitting the difference. Do you think because you played there at Wheaton, you talked about, you know, the institution first, this is maybe a job where, or a level where, you know, having an attachment to the school makes that sale of drawing the kid a little bit easier. Yeah, definitely, Tim. I, I don't know how familiar you are with Wheaton, but Wheaton would be a high academic Christian college. So we're a pretty unique institution. Um, and so the, the type of young, young man we're recruiting um, is looking for a place uh, like Wheaton that is going to combine, you know, sort of the, the Christian faith with the high academics, which is why if you look at our roster, our guys come from, from all over the country. Um, you know, Aston Francis, our, our 2019 player of the year is from Tyler, Texas, our best player right now, Nami Adomes from Orlando. So we get guys from all over the country. So it, there is an advantage, if that's the right way to say it, to have come to Wheaton and to sort of be familiar with uh, some of the opportunity that's here and the unique differences about Wheaton as opposed to many other Division three institutions in the country. I always tell people we're not better or worse, but we are different. And so I think that's a huge advantage in the recruiting process to kind of understand what Wheaton is all about. Well, they only had five winning seasons in 30 years prior to you taking the job. What do you think has been the key for you to have success there? And you've had a lot of it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I think that that stat is actually during my days at Gordon. When I got here, actually, so the 2006 team had Kent Raymond on it. I took over in 2009, right after that Wheaton team was number one ranked team in the country and lost to Wash U in the, in the Sweet 16. So I really took over a program here that had been remarkably successful. And really, Bill Harris built that program um, up in, the, in his 18 years here. And that's who I played for for two of my years. So really, in one sense, Tim, I've maintained uh, mm -hmm. some of the success. And, and uh, you know, you, Wheaton is a unique place. We're able to recruit all around the country. Um, we can recruit some young men that other Division threes probably can't even get involved with because of the unique uh, combination of, of high academics and, and the faith component that's, that's really uh, unique. And it, it, it's a lot of work to find young men that are looking for that. Yep. But if they are, Wheaton is going to be unique, a uh, unique choice for them and something they're going to be pretty interested in. Um, so we get, you know, we're an institution that can be successful. If you look across the board, we're pretty good in most things in athletics. Our, our football team's a top five, top 10 team in the country every year. Women's basketball has been to six straight NCAA tournaments. Women's soccer's won three national titles. Men's soccer's won two. So we're very good across the board. Um, so I'm just trying to maintain it, Tim. There'd be some alums that would debate whether I have, but uh, you know, it's it's been a it's been a unique and, and really special experience. You know, I, I lived the next town over from Wheaton in Glen Ellen, and we ended up selling our house in the spring, and I rented an apartment in Wheaton, at um, right on the train tracks there, and I had the opportunity, the fortunate opportunity, to meet a few student athletes at Wheaton College and a few lady soccer players and stuff, and. Sure enough, they ended up being, you know, babysitters here and there while we were kind of living in our temporary housing before we moved back to Glen Ellen in a different house. And you're right, what an unbelievable eye-opening experience for me 
not only living co close to the campus, but meeting some of those student athletes. That was really something to be seen, something you guys should all be proud of in the administration wise of Wheaton College. I was really blown away and taken back with just what, what outstanding people they were away from the field. And, and that's really a testament to you and all the coaches there at Wheaton College. Yeah, uh, the, the Division Three selection committee has made you the man. How has that happened? Yeah, so uh, I actually got into being on the national committee because of Mike McGrath, who is okay. a board member with the NABC and a longtime friend. And we were talking in San Antonio about six years ago, whenever the Division One Final Four was in San Antonio last. And coming back from brunch with our wives and we're talking about Division Three basketball, and he really encouraged me, in essence, challenged me to get involved. Yep. And at that time, Tim, I didn't really even know how you got on the national committee. I didn't even know how it worked. And uh, with some help from Mike, I ended up on the national committee. This is uh, my fourth year on it. And, and fortunately, uh, a couple of years ago, was, was selected to be chair of the men's basketball committee, uh, which I was chair during the year. We didn't have a tournament. Uh, so I don't know. Um, you know, so we they just were just, they, they were, they were, you, it was like layup lines. They just wanted to get you loose and all. I guess all it, was a, it was a difficult year, as you might imagine. We just had our first practice ranking yesterday. And really the first time we've done a, done a, a ranking on the national committee, Tim, in over 700 days. So mm -hmm. it was really, it was pretty exciting, even though it was an unofficial practice ranking, doesn't really have any bearing on anything. It was more to make sure the technology works and everything like that. But, uh, it was a, it was a rewarding experience to go, man, we're, we're finally back doing this. We're, we're starting to talk about ranking teams and picking the national tournament um, and, and that the, the at-large bids and all that stuff that comes with it that, you know, at our level is just as exciting as Division One. I. I mean, this is what we're working for is a chance to play for a national title. So uh, it, was, it, it was a good day yesterday and, and feeling some momentum going forward uh, as we get towards March. You talked about the selection process with Division One. Kind of take us through your selection process, how the teams are selected to compete in the Division Three championship. Yeah, so it's very different um, than Division One. At Division Three, we have 10 regions around the country, uh, and each of those regions has a chair of that region. Yep. And then what we call a, a, a RAC, a regional advisory committee. And each of those 10 regions meet and they rank the teams in their region. Uh, and then the national committee gets on the next day and sort of reviews those rankings and and ultimately sets the, the, the rankings of the 10 regions, um, one through eight, nine, 10, depending on how many teams are in your region. And then we select the teams, Tim, based upon a criteria. There's, there's, there's a, a five-pronged um, primary criteria, and then there are some secondary criteria that we can use if um, we can't identify the 20 teams based upon the primary criteria. So it is a, it is a fairly uh, systematic and an objective measurement that we use to pick the team. So we don't do an eye test. Um, we, don't, you know, we don't say, well, if team A played team B, what do we think? It's, it's more of a, a formula um, with some interpretation of the formula, meaning you know, we get to sort of discern which, uh, which criteria carries weight at a particular time, but it's a much more uh, um, criteria-driven system than the division one that has a little bit more latitude and how they pick and how they observe it and uh what what an amazing process that that must be and you know trusted eyes trusted ears and, and who is out there performing at the highest level because during the season we're all stretched pretty thin you know and guys are coaching their own teams and scouting other teams and now to have their eyes on other teams in the region 
Uh, talk to me about you, the committee chair. What other roles do you have there? Yeah, so really the, the primary role is to, to make sure that uh, our national calls, that we follow the criteria, that we are, we are sort of honoring the commitment that we made. So one of that would simply be to educate uh, the other, we have some new committee members, sort of educate them about the process. And uh, really part of the practice ranking is to ensure that the, the systems in place are followed, that we are doing what we have committed to do. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it, if I'm, if I'm honest, Tim, is some of this stuff. You, you yep. sort of get uh, to the media and, and express what the committee is doing, why perhaps we did some things, um, why we didn't do some other things. And so it's some of it's the face of the committee. Um, but I oversee Region 8, so I do lead a region um, as well as the other uh, nine members of the committee. So it is, it's a nuanced difference. I, I'm probably, I should know all 10 regions really well. Uh, the other committee members probably only need to know a handful of them. I need to know them in depth. That would be a responsibility. And then ultimately, I'm responsible for the 20 teams we picked for the at-large bids, why we picked them. And then a lot of this stuff, Tim, which is getting in front of, uh, in front of people and explaining the process and why we did certain things. So it's, I'm kind of the face of the committee, for better or worse. No, it's a nice face. I'm not going to lie. You, <laughs> this is an early morning thing, and I have you on video, and I think you look pretty good. Appreciate uh, that, Tim. It's the best I can do. <laughs> Let's dive into, this doesn't have to be a negative thing, and it could be a positive thing, but some of the key issues at the Division Three level, I always feel like when you say issues, everyone just goes negative. Like, my wife's like, you got issues. I know I got issues, honey. Like, I, I know, but give us some of the big storylines right now at the Division Three level. Yes, I think there are a couple that have just come out. I mean, one, I mentioned the move from eight regions to 10 regions yep. um, was significant in, in Division Three because it it really broadened uh, the, the process. We actually are now ranking um, about 20 more teams regionally than we did in 2020. So that's significant. Um, and so that, that ne doesn't necessarily make any, uh, you know, any headlines, but in our world, that's been a big transition that we're ranking so many more teams and we've moved from eight regions to 10 regions. That's pretty significant. Um, you know, I think one that has just passed him that I'd be curious to see how it plays out is we have dropped the, um, membership requirement from seven teams in a conference to six teams in a conference to get an automatic bid to our to our tournaments. I think that's gonna be significant as conferences start to figure out uh, maybe a 12 team conference split, some of those things. I think that's gonna have some um, some lasting, uh, well, some trip, uh, ripple effect perhaps yep. down through the years. I'm curious how that will, will transpire. Um, you know, I think those are probably the two I'm aware of. There are many others as we talked about the Constitution and, and Division Three, the NCAA. Um, you know, Division Three kind of trying to maybe come up with their own own identity in terms of our rules and management, some things like that that I think will be significant as we move forward. Uh, but that's kind of getting into the weeds a little bit. But in terms of basketball, those are probably the two biggest ones, the increased region and then the reduction from seven to six in terms of the number of teams uh, required to have an automatic bid. Uh, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here and it's just because I, I want, you know, I don't have like big time chair committee people in front of me many times. So let's just have a conversation. I'm all for the Elam ending, right? Where there's a target score, obviously made famous by the TBT in the tournament. The NBA all-star game has kicked it around the last couple of years, compelling one year, the next year, not so much. Uh, do you see a drastic change in basketball itself? Because that'd be pretty drastic, right? To go to a target score after a certain number of time. 
It would create that three, two moment that I would always love to see. I think TV schedulers and my bosses, they wouldn't love that because games would be ending early. How are we going to fill that? I'll let them figure that out. I think it'd be great for the sport. Is there anything you see for basketball itself as far as an evolution down the line? Well, that's a great question, Tim. I I don't know that I do that is as significant as that might be. Um, You know, I think we're constantly tweaking with with existing rules about freedom of movement. I think moving the three-point line has been uh, a bit of a change. You know, guys aren't shooting that quite as high a percentage as, as they were when I played and the line was much they're, closer. They're, they're still shooting them a lot, coach. They're, they're still shooting them a lot. We shoot them a lot. So I, but I don't know in the, Tim, in the things you're describing there, I mean, that would be a pretty drastic change to, yeah. to change the, the format of scoring in that regard. Um, I, don't, I don't anticipate something of that significance that at least I see on the horizon. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested of it because, you know, I, I have a different perspective, right? I'm, I've been calling games for 14 years, and there's a lot of times in games it loses drama, right? And, then, and I get it. I played, right? So I know the fouling and missing free throws, and then we got to make a three, and then we got to get a steal. Uh, as a viewer, it can be painful. You know, it's like, oh, man. But you're coaching, you're in the moment. You know, maybe it doesn't affect you as much, but – I've watched so much drama where you also, you got to keep playing, right? There's no more salt in the way of the game, the shot clock lowering. Do you think that has helped the game going from, I mean, I remember when you play, was it 45? Yeah. When I first got to college, it was 45. Yeah. So now, it, now it's already down 30. Think about that. I mean, that's a pretty drastic change. That is. And I would actually be a proponent of 24. Um, this is a personal perspective of mine, you know, uh, Good. This is see, we got an answer. See, yeah. I was looking for something. Yeah. That's so pretty I would be a proponent of going to 24. You know, really the only level in the world that doesn't use a 24 second shot clock is amateur basketball in the United States. I mean, uh, you know, uh, players overseas grow up with a, with a 20, they get used to it. Yeah. I would be a proponent of going to 24 seconds on the shot clock. I think that's healthy. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, increases pace, that sort of stuff. I would be a proponent of that. And I, I was a proponent of 30, um, and I would be a proponent of going to the 24 second shot clock. That's a personal opinion. Nobody's I'm not representing anybody. No, no, it's not, absolutely. No, no. I, I think it's good to know because we all have different perspectives, right? Some T guys also have philosophies with how they want to play. Uh, I'm, I'm getting more involved in high school basketball in the state that I live in, in Illinois, and there's no shot clock. And frankly, it's awful. It, it, to me, it's like playing baseball with five balls and four strikes. It's like, wait, this isn't good teams are holding the ball. It, it's just, it, it kind of, it, it's just not hoops in my eyes. So I, I appreciate your perspective. I know we didn't come on to kind of reinvent the game that James Naismith uh, made for us, but I, I appreciate your honesty. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Coach Shower, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tim. Enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. I'm your host, Tim Doyle. We're doing evolution of basketball, breaking down Division Three responsibilities. And that guy who missed that shot. Okay, what's his name, Coach? So Dr. Andy Nelford. Wheelie is his name. Dr. Andy Wheelie to you, though, Tim. And you want to up to Dr. Andy out there. I'm so happy you're a doctor and not, like, doing something that, like, that shot affected your life in a negative way. So thank you. So it should have went in. Doc, I'm telling you, it was, like, that far away. I was I the greatest view ever of it. Thanks so much for joining in. Join us next time. Thanks.